Welcome to Demystifying Innovation, a podcast from the Office of Research and Innovation at Humber College. I'm Nathan Whitlock, a professor and program coordinator in Humber's Faculty of Media and Creative Arts. In this podcast, we talk to academic leaders about the setbacks, challenges, obstacles, and outright mistakes they've faced in their careers, and the important lessons they've drawn from those moments. My guest today is Jason Powell. Senior Dean in the Faculty of Health Sciences and Wellness. So welcome, Jason. Thanks for uh, thank you for doing this podcast. Thanks for agreeing to this. It's absolutely my pleasure. Everyone has been going through a weird year and a half. It's been a challenge for everyone. But I would imagine that in your uh, faculty specifically, because so many of your programs are are hands-on, so many of them require people to be in the same room, and so much of that learning has to happen between people. It must, it must be a specifically difficult challenge for you to find solutions to this, to this ongoing problem. Probably one of the most significant and hallmark features of the majority of our programs is that hands-on learning, and you know that does require um, quite significant um, close contact and you know to have that removed acutely was was uh, both an opportunity and a challenge for us to reimagine how we would um, assist learners in achieving those competencies that we wouldn't necessarily be able to do um, without being very very close and in direct proximity with each other. Were there a few moments early on in those first weeks or first months when we started to realize how long this was going to to go and how serious this was where you thought I, I don't know if we can pull this off, or maybe with this program it works, but with this other program, it's, it, we're at a complete loss. Were you at a complete loss a few, few moments there early on? A hundred percent. I mean, I, I think that it, I would be, you know, less than honest if I didn't say, boy, I, I really wasn't sure on how I would, uh, you know, inspire a common vision of a group of faculty members to help students, you know, innovate and optimize in new ways to help them achieve competencies that that to that date we only knew how to help and and provide students with teaching and learning in the face to face and so you know they're they're really I, I can't stress enough what what the anxieties for me were directly related to was that I had no playbook I had no playbook for which to go and get off the ledge and say okay everybody I'm the senior academic dean this is the standard operating procedures for this we we I think as as leaders are are very comfortable when we have a playbook, when we understand the standard operating procedures, when we're able to, you know, convey messages with clarity and have, you know, uh, well documented and and maybe even prior experiences to rely on. This situation was completely void of that. There was no playbook. None of us had been through a pandemic. None of us have had to pivot as quickly as we did from a, a face to face, and you know, um, physically close teaching and learning delivery to a completely virtual um, uh, online and or a combination of both situations. So it really did, um, you know, create an opportunity for me to think, oh boy, I, I really don't know how to do this. The sort of programs that you oversee, those are, I mean, all of the programs at Humber require a certain amount of constant refreshing and constant 
looking for new things and constant kind of trying out new things. But especially in these fields, things are changing all the time. Technology is changing, processes are changing, you know, so there must be a constant sense of we can't just run the same program year by year by year. We need to constantly be up aware of what's happening out in the world. So the idea of innovating, the idea of taking risks must be just second nature with, with what you do. Yeah, I think I, at least I, I would suggest that we were probably on better footing when we had to pivot so quickly in comparison to some others, because it is in our DNA as health-related programs to constantly be made aware of changes that are happening. And sometimes those changes happen quite rapidly and adjusting and offering new ways of teaching and learning, offering new ways of you know, being, knowing and doing to our students so that they can be those career-ready citizens, so they can be ready to hit the ground running in organizations that are ever-changing. So I, I think in that, in that sense, Nathan, I think we, we were probably on, on more stable footing to adapt and be um, ready to you know, change and pivot and, and adapt quickly. But still, um, you know, again, without that playbook or without that sort of, you know, the mass scale of these changes, it, it was tough. But I, I certainly agree with you where some of the features of the health related programs that are embedded in our DNA are innovation and change. And so for that reason, and, and those um, particular challenges that we face every year, we were probably on more stable footing and more easily able to adapt and pivot. Yeah. And, and not to mention that this is an emergency because it's a health emergency. So the people, even though it's very hard for those students and they, they need to be in a class, they need to be in a room or a lab, they would be the people who really understand, oh, I understand what these protocols are all about in the way that maybe someone studying jazz guitar or marketing, which might not have that intimate knowledge. Yeah, I, I think to a point that that is true. I, I also will add a variable to that, that you know, it is, adds complexity and that was fear. And so, you know, I think, I think in many situations we were ready, willing and able to adapt, but I think some situations caused from fear, maybe put hesitancy. So, you know, I, I don't disagree with your, your assertion that, well, you know, health should be ready, willing and able to go. And they probably were the best and most ideal to respond. But you add fear into this where there really was an unknown. And I mean, early in this pandemic, there was death and there was darkness and there was things that, you know, the media sent to us. And so those students who were engaged in health related programs may not have been as, you know, uh, willing to move in directions that we had thought. So I, I do also believe that fear was a variable that we hadn't had in the past. Oh, interesting. Well, I mean, congratulations on making it this far. We are, the light is there. We're climbing out. So, and it, but it does connect to, to what I wanted to speak to you specifically about today was that, that sense of changing on the fly or taking risks or getting into a situation where you need to completely, uh, you know, overturn certain assumptions that you've made, whether, you know, about a pr process or a procedure or, or just about certain outcomes. So I'm wondering, the question that I'm asking everybody in this series is, is there a moment that you can think of, whether in this role or another role, where you have tried something, where you've tried something big or something small and you kind of put a, put a bet on it, you're like, this is going to be a change, this is going to shift things, and wow, and this, if this works out, everything's going to be great. 
and it just didn't work. It just, the, the returns came back and you were like, oh no, that was completely the wrong bet. As anybody who's been doing this job for the length of time that I have, you probably could choose from a myriad of experiences that would fit nicely in what you just described. So, you know, certainly um, failure and, and um, you know, pivoting and, and re reimagining something that didn't work is, is certainly something that I'm very familiar with um, and have experienced it many times throughout my career, for sure. One of the ones that always uh, comes to mind is in the uh, funeral services education division where we had, um, you know, reimagined a certificate delivery for one of our programs and specifically a certificate delivery in um, pre-need uh, sales type programming for funeral services, the, for the funeral services industry. And we contemplated a brand new and revolutionized certificate for professionals who wanted to sell funerals pre-need. And we had support from the myriad of industry and stakeholders that we had talked to about this change. And we implemented the change and the industry just wasn't ready for it. And it certainly created an opportunity for us to re-examine that, um, that thought. And we ended up having to basically reimagine it a second time because we failed. We failed at, at uh, you know, successfully implementing the program as it was contemplated. And, and we had to really you know, take a step back and, and think about what we were going to do next, if anything, because uh, one thing was crystal clear, the educator and the human resources producer or us uh, was not in line with the human resources receiver, which was the industry. And it was something that, you know, was going to create an opportunity for our graduates not to have jobs and all, all the things that we, you know, we pride ourselves on were, were, were almost not going to happen. And so we really, really, really had to regroup as a team and think about our failure and, and examine it and, uh, and certainly reflect on it. But definitely the funeral services education change comes to mind uh, immediately. And how quickly did you start getting that that negative feedback? How quickly did you start to realize this is this is not working? We have to make a shift. You know, I I think we probably, on reflection, had some some instances where we had gotten that feedback um, early on. But I thought that perhaps, and the group thought that perhaps it was maybe just some of the outliers, and that that maybe it was the louder voices that had percolated up, and not maybe the majority and it wasn't until probably the second or third month of implementing of the program where we really started to get, you know, evidence from our program advisory committee that, look, this is not going to work. There is really going to be some large corporations that are not going to be uh, receptive of this new graduate. They are very upset by um, the, the direction that this program is headed. And, and I think, you know, it, it, it really was close to us, um, you know, getting to a point of no return almost but um you know luckily we did get the feedback we were receptive of the feedback and we did change you know sooner than later right and i'm always curious what kind of lessons did you draw from that were there certain processes that you were able to put in place or certain things where you're like this is what we need to do in the future before we make we you know before we pull the trigger on something we need to do, go through these particular steps yeah, I think there's always lessons. I mean, I, I don't know if, it, 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 I think every failure has a lesson or two that is distinctly different from the other failures that you have. And I think in this particular situation, the there's some complexities in that we are the only funeral services education provider in the province. And so 
in this situation, I might have consulted more broadly across the province as opposed to in our own limited catchment area, which I think is, is common practice for us in other programs that are offered in many other institutions. So I think in this situation where we probably didn't do our best due diligence was in the catchment area that we used for um, feedback and knowledge on the credential. I think what is pertinent and relevant to somebody in Windsor in funeral services may be distinctly different than something that's pertinent to um, a funeral services offer in Toronto. And I think without that you know, knowledge across the province in this one situation, we probably should have, um, you know, cast our net more widely when we were looking at feedback, I think. Mm -hmm. So it did result in this idea that you have a larger impact, you have a broader, a broader catchment, a broader kind of, there's more stakeholders involved than you had originally envisioned. Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, uh, like I said, you know, earlier on, we are the only funeral services education provider in the province in the English language. And so, you know, it really we we have to constantly be reminded that our stakeholder group is Ontario, not just the GTA, whereas many of the other Humber programs, our stakeholder group is Toronto. It's maybe, maybe into Mississauga, Peel, York, but primarily Toronto. Yeah. And the, the uh, this is the last question I'll have for you, and then I'll let you get back to the, I'm sure, many multiple, uh, you know, ongoing crises that, that you know, let's say Fires. challenges. Challenges, yeah. 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 Um, but I'm sort of asking everybody, because it, when something like that happens, some of the, <clears throat> the the temptation might be to say, well, we're not trying anything like that again. That's that's all off the table because we we got burned that time. But of course, you want to be trying things and you want to always be pushing things a little bit, even with that risk and that inherent risk. So what advice would you have for someone else who's in the same position and wanting to try something and wanting to, you know, what do you have, advice do you have to kind of push through that risk and that fear? Well, I, I guess, I, I don't know if it's advice. I, I think it's more a methodology that I prescribe to. And I think that it, it works when you have psychological safety in the team that, you, that you're leading. I think, you know, Dr. Amy Edmondson, she's such a, an influence on my life. And, and she speaks um, in her program of research on psychological safety and the consequences of that. And one of the consequences of having a psychologically safe team is conversation and communication and the acceptance of failure through those conversations. And I really think that that's important because if, if you weren't in a psychologically safe team and you did stick your neck out and you failed, you're going to be less likely to ever do it again because you'd have a team that would be completely disrupted by that. They would, they would be, you know, the consequence of this in the literature is things like sabotage, dissension. And so, you know, when you have a psychologically safe team, like I'm proud to have at Humber, I think you're more likely to be able to be accepting of change and failure. And you're more accepting of each other's um, others, you know, maybe deviations from what success might look like and learn from it and grow from it and come back even stronger that we use failure as a lesson and, and it's accepted it's it's okay where you get to be you know extremely problematic is when you don't accept those failures and people don't have the psychological safety to tell you about them because then you get things like we all know what happened with volkswagen what happened with um you know companies that didn't um bring to their leaders things that were going off the rails or were failures. And then you've got people's lives even at risk, which is especially relevant for a health program, you know? So I really do believe that, um, you know, these are things that 
when you have a methodology and when you have a framework of psychological safety, you're more likely to continue forging ahead with innovation because it's not really a big negative. It's more, hey, well, we tried this, we, it didn't work, we learned from it, but hey, you know what? The next thing is going to be even better. And that's the mentality that we come at every day. So I, I really don't know if there's lessons, more of a framework that mm, be psychologically safe, talk about things, be accepting of change, be accepting of failure, be accepting of that not everything is going to be really, really, really well. I, I, I often remind my team that Walt Disney, you know, we've all gone down there, we've all visited that amazing location in Florida. He tried multiple, multiple, multiple times at getting someone to believe in his vision for Disneyland. So, you know, there's an example that we have um, readily available to say, look, if that guy had packed it in after one time, we'd never have that beautiful place. So there's mm -hmm. many, many examples like that. Yeah. And that's, I think that's a good place to, to, to end. And I think, you know, the lesson that everyone has gotten this year is the importance of a strong and psychologically safe team. Because uh, when, it, when, when it's under pressure, then you realize who you have working with you. Well, thank you so much, Jason. I really appreciate this. Thank you. I really appreciate you, Nathan. And that is the podcast. Special thanks to Ginger Grant and Rochelle Morris in the Office of Research and Innovation, to Sarah Nyman and Chris Middleton at Humber Press, and to Humber's own Andy Scott, who provided the music for this series. This episode was edited, edited, edited. by me.